Hi everyone, welcome to Spawn Camp, where a group of friends get together and we talk about the movies and games and other media that we love, and especially the positive things that set them apart. I am Angel, game designer and uh, media lover, <laughs> and I'm joined this week by Tony Ray, who usually hosts. He is a graphic designer living and working out in London. I have been gone for a while, so I'm getting back into the spin of things. I'm so happy to be recording. And today, we're going to talk about some movies that we've seen about the food industry that are very, very good. You may have heard of these. The Menu, The Bear, Pig. <laughs> for some reason, they all have these one-word titles. But before that, we'll just kind of chat and find out what we've been up to. But how are you, Tony? Hi. <laughs> I am doing I'm doing all right. Uh I have a thing that I have been doing recently that I am dying to share that I'm really really Please excited share. about. I have been a fan of the Game Studio Roll 7 for a long time ever since they did the very first skateboarding game they made called Ollie Ollie. I adore Ollie Ollie. I loved Ollie Ollie 2 and their most recent release Ollie Ollie World is a game that I have been wanting to play for a long time. And I have finally obtained it, and I have been playing it, and I have been adoring it, as I thought that I would. Have you ever played an Ollie Ollie game? I haven't, but I remember you really liking Ollie Ollie. So I think there's like some fuzzy image of my mind. But it is explain the premise. Like, how is it different from other skateboarding games? It is a skateboarding game that is fully two-dimensional. Your character goes from left to right side of the screen, you operate it with the thumbsticks entirely. It is not a guide your character, jump with X, and perform tricks with the buttons. Your inputs on the thumbstick is what dictates what your character does. So you're hitting X to kick, so you're pushing off with X, and then you hold down and your character crouches, and if you release, they jump. If you put a little spice on it and you you know do a quarter circle turn with the thumbstick they'll do a little kick flip or a back quarter circle or you'll do some crazy spins on the stick and they'll do some crazy spins all of the skill is in memorizing the different stick motions and performing those and then being able to link the different landscapes and lines that it sets up for you so there's a lot of decision making that you're doing a lot of timing that you're doing but my favorite part so far of Ollie Ollie World versus the eponymous Ollie Ollie and Ollie Ollie 2 before that is that you can't bail anymore for the most part. In the first two Ollie Ollies, you would have to hit X to land, and your timing of X would dictate how much of a score you got from that. So if you like hit it a little too early, you'd get like a good. If you hit it right as you land, you get a perfect. If you hit it too late or you don't hit it at all you would just crash and your trick wouldn't land and you'd have to start over. In Ollie Ollie World, if you do no inputs and your character hits the ground, they just land. You, you don't fail. The only times you can fail is if you're like going over difficult terrain and like land in a sand pit or hit a wall or something that is not part of the landscape that you can actually skate on. So it's a lot more forgiving and a lot more accepting of newcomers because... If you just, you know, freak out or miss something and you accidentally land without hitting X, it's fine. It's okay. Everything's fine. Your, your trick landed. You didn't get a perfect, but you're not, you know, your run isn't over. 
So that alone, that change to the core mechanic of how the game works, makes it so much more accessible to me. Um, and that's not mentioning the like extremely happy, positive art style, the cute, sing-songy voices of the characters that are like uh, Banjo-Kazooie or Animal Crossing, or the way that it's positioning the lore of skateboarding where there's five skate gods and you have a supreme skater and they're searching for narvana g-n-a-r it's incredible that sounds so appealing that change makes so much sense too like i can absolutely see why they did that like that's genius and probably obvious in hindsight (laughs) for them Oh, and but, the the soundtrack is absolutely killer. It's some of my favorite music in games. It's I was amazing. Ask, I feel like you can't have a skateboarding game without the best soundtrack to come out that year. Like it has to be part of the game. It's it's all bumps. If you're unfamiliar with bumps, uh, if you've ever watched Adult Swim, they would have those like thirty second ads where it's just black screen and text, and it would be some cool like really low key breakbeat on the background. Those are bumps. Yeah. And all of the music in all of the Oli Oli games is bumps, which is just like really easy listening, cool melodies and bass lines. There's no lyrics. It's all just like really smooth listening, really chill time. And it makes playing those games incredibly zen. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. That makes even more sense that they wouldn't make it like horrifically punishing. <laughs> it's like much more zen now. That's great. Let's see. I have so many to choose from for things I've been up to which is unusual for me because I don't get up to much, but it's been so long. Let's see. Oh, man, I'm playing Hades on the Switch. Yeah, I want to play that so bad. Hades is a masterpiece, man. (laughs) It's I'm struggling with not being like annoying about it, especially since it came out years ago. And I already watched a bunch of people be like, you have to play Hades or I'll kill you. (laughs) So now I'm that guy. You have to play Hades or I'll kill you. That game is just just such a masterpiece. It's so, so good. I also just love Supergiant Games, like the studio that made it. And there's a sequel coming out that I'm incredibly excited about. I finally got around to playing it, and I'm so glad. I liked it as much as I thought I would, and more. Like, it was surprising. I also really love the behind-the-scenes for 80s. So I actually watched all of this before I played the game, like a year before. It's a no-clip documentary, yeah. Yes. No-clip is incredible. It is a crowdsourced set of incredibly high quality video game documentaries created by a guy who was a games journalist and he felt like he was covering these games and often critiquing these games but had no idea about how they were made danny o'dwyer so yeah danny dwyer o'dwyer that's right he's very irish (laughs) and he made this project and it's really taken off and i'm so happy for him and for the industry because i think the video game industry is like famously opaque So these like incredibly high quality documentaries are just like so needed and amazing. And the ones for Hades in particular are some of the best that they've done because they had someone sort of embedded with the team from one of their early alpha tests because Hades was made in a very unique way. Hades was released to the public unfinished. On purpose. With portions of the game finished. On purpose, yes, that's important. It's It's called early access. Yes, and a lot of games do that, and very often they do that badly or never really come out of it, but Hades went into early access, which was new for them, but with a very intentional sort of goal, and it was so, so successful. So you get to see 
like the very unique and complete kind of development of this game and the very passionate people behind it. It's a small team, maybe the most talented I can think of. So yeah, not only is Hades great, but I recommend even if you're not going to play it for people to watch the, it's called Developing Hell, I think, or uh, Making Hell or something um, by Noclip Documentaries on YouTube, completely free. So I'd love to to spend a little bit of time pitching you on the bear and then you can spend some time pitching me on pig and then we can both talk about the menu and that's a perfect way to do it for the most part i would love to try to avoid any and all spoilers if we can and be very clear if we're going to be entering a section with spoilers well you first talk me into watching the bear and i will warn you this is going to be very easy because i've been desperately wanting to watch the bear for months (laughs) so just to start off with everyone dies at the end (sighs) okay i can cross it off the list with the menu and the bear i view them as two sides of the same coin of like the service industry and i also look at them both from like the angle that the film whiplash took which is one of my favorite films of all time um me too and it's kind of showing viscerally from the perspective of a person that is striving for perfection and the immense toll that takes on you and everyone in your life and begs the question of the viewer, is this worth it? And it's not there to answer that definitively. It's do you value perfection? And to me, I do not. (laughs) And I view that (laughs) film from an outside perspective of like, that's incredible. That is hell. And For the bear, it's the kind of positive coin of that, of like a person that has gone through that journey of like striving to be the perfect chef to the level that Whiplash approaches of like, oh, I don't want to be good. You know, I want to be the best. And like this character has worked at literally the best restaurants in the world of like the French Laundry and Noma. Like this chef in the show, this fictional character is like, the top of his field you know he is the pinnacle he has reached the mountaintop and he has looked and seen the other mountains and he has come back home to run his family kitchen and his his family restaurant and is experiencing that gulf between the top and the bottom and the similarities there of any kitchen is a high pressure environment any chef has opinions and all of these things, but it takes this more positive angle of like becoming the best and not letting that destroy you and trying to find redemption and salvage yourself and crawl your way back to normality. All of these things, all of these issues that we've all faced through COVID and through a pandemic and trying to just eke our way back to some kind of normal and some kind of desperate feeling of belonging and being okay this character is experiencing these characters are experiencing they are rediscovering their joy for life their family their bonds they're figuring out what they've been missing and they're just trying to find a good baseline so that's the most like zoomed out not spoilery perspective i can try to lay on it to convince you to get into it it's addictive Jess and I watched it in two days. We watched all eight episodes. They're all under 30 minutes. It is an exceptional show. Please watch The Bear. It is from FX. It is on Hulu in the States. It is on Disney Plus, other places. I can't recommend it enough. 
you did a very good job. Yay. <laughs> like that's, I, I need that movie as someone who watched and loved whiplash, but whiplash to me was a call out movie. Like whiplash was like, look, you're going to get hit by a car. That's what whiplash told me <laughs> because I was the kid in whiplash and now I'm turning 30 and I need to stop being the kid in whiplash. So this feels useful. <laughs> I love that. I actually didn't know it was a show. I thought it was a movie for some reason. So that's interesting. Eight episode show. That makes it easier to start. I'm going to do that. But yeah, that sounds really good, actually. I like those themes. Because so often, I feel like the instinct for writing movies is still a little bit classical, where you have kind of like the drama and the comedy. And the difference between drama and comedy is how they end basically (laughs) but we love the idea of a tragedy right like a fall or like an icarus story and whiplash is very much that or black swan whiplash is i've heard them compared it's like the male and female version of the same movie i like this kind of trend i don't know if trend right but i've i've started noticing this in film where they'll have movies where the point of the movie is not like a traditional tragedy or like a hubris story or like just this big like hero's journey overcoming something. But often it's a theme that's a lot more wholesome and self-reflective. And it's saying something like figure out something good for you and go through like that journey. I don't know if everything everywhere all at once is like exactly that, but I love that movie and I think it's kind of similar, right? Like there, it's not the normal kind of like you're going to save the world movie. It's kind of like save yourself movie. I thought the theme of everything everywhere all at once was everyday kindness is the most powerful thing in the universe and will save the world over and over again. Just normal, yeah, everyday human kindness. Yeah. And I think it's also like from the perspective of the main character, it was also kind of I haven't seen the bear, right? But the way you were talking about like they they start at a certain place And they have to like learn how to get to a better place in themselves. I I think that's kind of the the hero's journey. Like Puss in Boots, actually, I just saw Puss in Boots was also a little bit like that, right? It was like an internal story where the struggle isn't so much like there's external save the world stuff going on. But the primary character arc, I'm starting to see these movies where it's not like a fall from grace or like a rise to heroism. It's like you start somewhere, which is often a very high place in Puss in Boots. He's like this famous hero, right? And then they have sort of like an internal struggle. And then the movie is them kind of like reaching their wholesome kind of like saving themselves. So what you're saying is the driving theme of most millennial created media is self-actualization. Yes. That's... Someone should write some papers about this. I'm sure they have. I think I've seen video essays um, on YouTube about this. But you're absolutely right. And I think it says something, like, generationally, that that's the kind of art that people in that age group, like, 30 to 40, who are, like, running movies now, that's the stories they're trying to tell. And they're doing well because that's the story, the stories people want to go see. I think that's fascinating. And comparing that to, like, movies from the past, right, from, like, Die Hard, or 
going back further to like some spaghetti western or something i definitely don't think those movies were doing this we're not talking about like a generic like don't you mean every movie's like that every movie has a character arc it's like no i don't think bruce willis was saving himself in die hard really i think he was you know stopping a terrorist and the movie still rocks by the way (laughs) do you want to chat a little about the pig or should we just dive right into the menu i can chat a little bit because it's it doesn't hit the themes the same way i i think it's a really good movie but i'm struggling i saw it a while ago so i don't fully remember every part of the theme and how to work it into our topic food service is involved and i guess it's sort of like it's a very unexpected kind of unfolding of a almost like a mystery like you don't really have a lot of the answers about what's driving the primary character who's played by Nicolas Cage and the way he's sort of it's a very simple movie right like this this man that you don't know really the past of is living out for some reason like out in the woods by himself with nothing but a truffle pig he just finds truffles and sells them for money and the only other character really for the beginning is like this guy who comes to buy his truffles, basically. And then there's a big inciting action. I mean, I I assume this is on the back of the box. It's not really a spoiler, but he needs to go find his pig. Like someone takes it. So then the rest of the movie is him kind of uncovering, like uncovering to us, the audience, like his past and how he got to where he is in this fairly emotional, like interesting journey to like find this pig. (laughs) and I think if it relates to anything to these movies that we're really talking about, it has a lot to do with kind of personal, like a personal professional journey of like finding perfection. And then the sort of like what happens after that, like how do you settle down? Like what's your end after that? Almost like hero retirement as a theme, right? Like what does a hero do after their peak? And then also... I think these kinds of movies, and we'll talk about this maybe again after the menu, I just really love that these kinds of movies are being made, right? Like, this is not a Marvel movie. I remember when DVDs kind of stopped being a thing, the people were worried that the only reason any movie would ever get made is if they're going to make a billion dollars on the opening weekend because they're a giant action blockbuster, and then all other good, like, televised media might be a TV show on a streaming platform, right? The Bear is a show, but like that prestige kind of television is absolutely part of this puzzle. And then there's actual films that, and these have always existed, but I I love when they do well. There's movies that aren't being like a giant Marvel blockbuster. And the way that they become worthwhile and that people go see them is that they're just really good. Like we just have incredible artists telling really good stories and really good performances. And then on the back of that, they make money, right? And they're also kind of cheaper to make. They're like, they're simple, focused, just like really good art. So if you're interested in that, just like a good movie with an interesting premise, The Pig, it's very good. Also, Nicolas Cage is very talented sometimes. It, he's sort of like inconsistent in terms of like, he has this history of being in a lot of funny B movies, but then he's like absolutely nails it in The Pig. So the guy's uh, absolutely a powerhouse. So we're we're talking about double A films, and right before we started, you were saying that the menu reflects this. So, did you want to uh, give me kind of a an intro here, and we can chat about the menu? We can, yeah. And we've both seen this one, so we don't have to convince each other. But 
uh, we could just kind of discuss it in this landscape. So the menu is absolutely an example to me of one of these very artful, well, what's the right word? The scope of this film is very tight where it's trying to do one very specific thing. Like for the most part, this entire movie takes place like in the dining room of a restaurant, like the whole movie, which I think is like, I I love when movies do that because it's just so focused. So yeah, from a production standpoint, that's my point of view. I think I'll let you do the plot summary. I don't want to dive into anything that will spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it because my goal here as someone that was hesitant to see it and thoroughly enjoyed it is to try to convince other people to experience it as well. And I'd say the things that you might anticipate about it, where it seems unassuming, and that means like, oh, this thing must be inherently more violent than I think it is, or more disturbing than I think it is. Do not be afraid of like cannibalistic themes or or like serial killer themes or anything like that. This is a story that revolves around the food service industry or in general the service industry and the way that we as society view those people and the way that those people view the rest of society and ultimately like i was saying about the bear this is on the other side of that service industry coin where the bear is about redemption while the menu is about vengeance where you can internalize all of the experiences that you have through the service industry through becoming a chef through creating things that are ephemeral that are very short in their shelf life and ultimately become feces and how that can make you feel (laughs) as a person where your creations are not permanent if anything their entire purpose is to last for a very short amount of time And what that does to a person, what that does to their psyche, what that does to their career aspirations, their value, and their life as a human being, and everyone involved in that, it can become like a cult, like a shared nightmare. And I think the menu does a very good job of trying to juxtapose those two groups of people, to juxtapose those two ideologies, and ultimately point the camera at the audience and say, what side of this coin are you? What side of this fight are you? And are you able to see things from the other perspective in a constructive way? See, I'm glad I turned it over to you. You had a very good... And I hope that in no way spoils the plot or the way the machinations of these characters. I think that that's a, a way that we can dive into this without being like, and this person does this thing. Like, it's, it doesn't have to yeah. be that. I went into the movie having kind of no idea. Like, I heard it was good. And I sort of seek out these, uh, you said double A movie before. I like that term, right? Where it's like a film that you go out and see. It's not like a tiny baby indie movie. It's made by like, you know, industry writers and directors and people who are good at making movies. But it's not, you know, a Marvel movie. So usually if a movie makes, you know, gets very good critical reviews and people are saying like, this is art, people are acting very well in it, there's good writing, I go. So I had no idea what it was about. And I did kind of think from the advertisements that it would be some sort of horror thriller. And I guess it has elements of that. But yeah, it was a lot more introspective, I guess. It was definitely like I would add it had a lot to do with class struggle. And one so one thing I really liked about it, which is not spoiler at all, it's it's a production thing because I it's what I like. But one interesting behind the scenes thing about the movie is the way they they filmed it was fairly unique. So they had a style of directing for this film where because they were in a dining room, 
and it was sort of an ensemble cast. Like there's certainly main characters, but when you're in the dining room, there's a cast of diners to this like prestigious restaurant that you meet on the boat that introduces them to like takes them to the island. So there's different tables at this restaurant and then the chef. And at each table, there's characters, like named characters, and and none of them are background characters. Like you get to know all of the diners fairly intimately, and they're all characters that like have dialogue and, and you learn about them throughout the course of the film, which I think is like really cool. The way they were directing this movie is there was a lot of improv from the actors where they were encouraged to react to things very naturally. So they'll have the chef like do something like in, as part of the script and the people dining would like react naturally and they'd be able to have conversations and they'd have microphones at each of the tables and they would sort of let them act like in character and respond to these situations. And then they'd piece the movie together in a sense with like these sort of natural, I don't know. It was just a very fascinating way to tell a story because normally you tell things very linearly, like, okay, we're following this character, we're following this character. The structure of this film was so unique because it was like the different courses are coming out and that gives you like a through line through the story, especially the way the chef is unfolding what's going on. And the movie definitely has like a, a descent might not be the right term, but like you're going deeper into the situation. And as that occurs, like it's happening in a dining room with tables and patrons and they're like, they each have their own conversations and stuff. So it was very, very unique to me from that perspective. I think of it like a spiral where you start at the end of the spiral and it's very unclear of what's happening. And as you make each round of, of the spiral, you're closer mm-hmm. to the inside and it starts to make more sense. And by the time you get to the middle, there's an answer. And it's not really the kind of movie where you have to guess it. I definitely wouldn't encourage anyone to go in and be like, I figured out what the mystery was. Because for me, the appeal was that spiral, like just the way it unfolds is very well done, but also just the characters again, like you're going to be able to get something out of the movie just by learning about everyone in the dining room. So the appeal of the movie isn't just like a mystery or like a reveal. I do want us to to start getting to a point where we can give some closing thoughts, but my recommendation, if we haven't sold you yet, and also this isn't a spoiler or anything, is before I saw the film, I did have some lingering questions of like, is there going to be stuff that I'm going to, you know, be squeamish about or anything here? There's an amazing video that Variety did that they have a whole series of like the director takes a single shot from their film and breaks down their different decision-making processes. And within this video that Variety did for the menu, they have the director and the two stars. They have Anya Taylor-Joy playing Margot and Nicholas Holt playing Tyler. And they have both of them there as well to give input on their characters' decisions, the directions that they were getting. And it's a incredible breakdown of a very specific few seconds of a scene that really shows the uh, directorial intent of the director and why certain decisions were made, certain choices the actors make, and all of that doesn't spoil the plot at all, but gives me a much better insight into the film as a whole, the different decisions that were made from all these different ensemble cast members, and it creates a really deep experience that implores repeat viewings. Yeah, that's true. It's just good art. It's good filmmaking. If you're a fan of the medium of film at all, I think this is like worth checking out just on the merit of it being interesting. That's my closing thought. Go watch it. It's interesting. Be nice to your waiters. 
I mean, that was a good closing thought in and of itself, Tony. I think I definitely loved it just as like a story. I think I definitely loved it just from the point of view of like how it was made and it being interesting. But yeah, this movie, The Bear, The Pig. <laughs> I love these titles. I really do. <laughs> these single word titles. I I hope we'll have more episodes in the future kind of talking about these kind of movies because going back to things like 10 Cloverfield Lane, I think would fit right by these films in terms of like a tight double A, if you want to call it, like film experience. And I'm sure there's other movies that kind of deal with either the class struggle stuff or the food industry stuff that I'd be interested to watch or hear about. So if anyone listening knows about those, throw them in the comments. We had an amazing time talking about these movies. I have stuff to watch now, so thank you. You now have to watch The Pig. I'm sorry. Let me know if you liked it. I will. I haven't seen it in a while, so maybe I'm misrecommending it. We'll see what happens. But uh, thanks so much for joining me, Tony. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you all for listening. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, see you next week. We'll find something to talk about. Excellent. See you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.